been um, as we continue in this series in the book of Hebrews and um, uh, I am, I will not ask you to stand, but I am, I am going to read the entire passage. And that means, um, you know, that, that doesn't count against the sermon time, right? Just because the passage is long doesn't mean I have to shorten anything. So just make sure you're prepared for, um, okay, never mind. That's not going over well. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, and I am going to read all the way through the end of chapter 11. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and yet are destroyed, but of those who have faith and and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, Before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go uh, out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to, be, to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Would you pray with me? Uh, We pray, our God and our King, that you would uh, open ears, minds, eyes, to hear, to understand, to see Christ. Uh, Open hearts to embrace Christ. 
And we pray that you would so be at work in this, your word, uh, given to us for our good and your glory, uh, that we might more and more be conformed into the image of Christ. We ask all of this in his name and for his sake. Amen. You know, with each passing day, um, it seems more and more of us, more and more Christians are convinced that the world is getting worse. Um, Some of you maybe are thinking to yourself, well, my lifetime, it may not be too big a deal, but I'm really worried for my kids or for my grandkids or for my great-grandkids. What are they going to have to endure? What's the the world going to be like for them? And, And certainly there seem to be sort of changes uh, on the horizon, but we we worry, we fear um, that that they will have to suffer, that they will have to endure difficulty and hardship and, and persecution on account of Christ uh, in this life. Um, but the reality is this passage sort of reminds us, um, it, it's written to to comfort us, to encourage us in light of the possibility of affliction and struggle and conflict. In light of an uncertain future, this passage is written to give us comfort and hope. Last week, we looked just really at the first three verses of of Hebrews uh, 11. And I mentioned then that um, we were doing that. We kind of skipped the end of 10, looked at just those three verses, what is faith, and, and saw Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen, and the the anticipation, the longing of living the life of faith in light of the world to come. And now we've expanded, uh, as I warned you, um, into the end of 10 and all of 11. However, I will also comfort you with this little piece of hope. We're not going to spend time on each individual person in Hebrews 11, on each individual account in Hebrews. We could do that. We could certainly split 11 up into four or five or six or eight or 12 sermons if we wanted to. Uh, but instead, I've, I've opted to take all of this uh, together. Because it's, it's interesting, really, that the, the writer begins in Genesis 4 and then quits in Joshua 6. Rahab, the walls of Jericho fall down. Rahab survives. And you get the sense that the writer goes, I, I, I can't keep going. Like this, this is a bigger undertaking than I had anticipated. So here, let me, you know, let me sum up. Let me just give you some. And there's a whole bunch of other people I could talk about and I'm not. Who did all these other things that I could talk about, but I'm not. And you get this sort of almost overwhelming sense of, of examples of a life of faith. And the reality is we've preached through Genesis and Exodus. You can find all those sermons on our website if you want the details on each individual person. First, we find uh, in this passage, the life of faith endures suffering. Notice in verse 32, he wants his readers to remember, to recall, to look back. But he calls them to look back to Former days. Now, these aren't the good old days. These aren't the days of yesteryear. These aren't, you know, back when I was a kid. This wasn't, you know, back in my day. We didn't have. This is the first days. 
The first days after which you were enlightened. The, the first days after your conversion. He wants them to remember, look, you were brought to saving faith in Christ and, and you need to go back and remember those early days. And he, so he's, he's pointing them back to the, the first days of their life as Christians, if you will. He's writing to Jewish believers, people who were converted to Christ out of Judaism. And, and he's writing only about 30 or so years, 35 years after Pentecost. And so you may very well be talking about people who were converted then at that day, at that time, and who in Acts 4 were actually selling property to give to those in poor. These may very well be some of the same um, the same people involved in all of that converted during that time. But notice what he wants them to remember. You endured suffering. And, and he points to two different kinds of suffering. Um, one is sort of the, the public shaming. Uh, you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and, and you were mocked. He talks, goes on later to talk about being mocked and ridiculed and made fun of and and this is this is the kind of stuff that you know when you go to work and you don't participate in some of the same kind of conversations around the water cooler right the proverbial water cooler like everything happens at the water i'm sure all of your work experience all the great conversations happened at the water cooler um, but we, we, when you don't engage in some of those conversations or you don't you're, you're unwilling to to kind of fudge the numbers just a little bit um, when you're unwilling to engage in in sort of backroom, underhanded deals because that's contrary to what God's will says and the, the, the ridicule, the mocking, the, the laughter, the pointing, the sneering. The, you walk in the room and everybody stop. We can't. He's here now. She just walked in the room. You have to stop that conversation. And you know that as soon as you leave, they're going to point and mock and talk about you. That's the kind of stuff they're going through. And, and keep in mind that at this stage, Rome didn't know what to do with Christians. Rome just kind of went, well, this must be some form of Judaism. And Judaism was a legal religion in Rome. And so for years, they didn't really know what to do with Christians. This isn't persecution coming from Romans. This is persecutions coming from Jews, from family, from neighbors. From cousins, your boss firing you because you have turned your back on the age old religion. Your your siblings having nothing more to do with you because you've forsaken our fathers and our fathers, fathers and our fathers, 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 religion. How dare you turn your back on all this law of God, they might even say. They're publicly shamed. Because they're turning their backs on Moses and Abraham, at least as the Jewish people saw it. I mean, it wasn't Rome that stoned Stephen in Acts 7. It was the Jews that stoned Stephen in Acts 7. So there's a, there's a suffering that comes at the hands of those sort of outside, a, a public shame. Even some of it because they were willing to associate with people who were being mistreated. You know how it is, the, the, the kid on the playground that gets bullied by the, the school bully. You have two choices. You can stand with the bully and point and mock, 
Or you can go and sit down with the child he just knocked over. You sit down with the child he just knocked over. And you're facing that that ridicule, that shame. Not because you've done anything other than love someone who's been mistreated. That's one sort of kind of suffering that these people are enduring. Uh, There's a second, um, and it is their own poverty. Their stuff was taken from them. You had compassion on those in prison, and you, you didn't just accept the plundering of your property, you joyfully accepted it. You gladly let the things go. You gladly let your possessions go. Why? Because the things of this world pale in comparison to the greater possession in heaven. If I go without, if my going without means someone else is good, great. That was their sort of mindset. And so the life of faith endures suffering. You know, there's a there's a um, there's a part of me that kind of wonders, I mean, Part of our fear for the future is rooted not really in world history or global history or even global uh, political knowledge. It's rooted in a very limited U.S. centric history. This notion that that we live and have lived in a Christian culture, a Christian country. I, I don't share that view, by the way. But the the notion that that we would appeal to Washington or we would appeal to the state to guard and protect us. And it's their responsibility. It's their right. And they owe us this. We've decided that that as Americans, regardless of our Christianity, but as as Americans, it's our inalienable right not to have to suffer for Jesus. And, And when we say suffer, we mean, well, They're teaching things at school I wish they didn't teach. And the Supreme Court makes decisions I wish they wouldn't make. Okay, those things can be true, but that's not what's going on here. This is is personal. I'm hurting. I'm losing. I'm giving up my possessions of this world. I'm I'm being ridiculed and mocked and, and left out of societies and cultures and groups and subgroups precisely because of Jesus. And that's been the pattern for God's people from the beginning. We are the oddballs, right? Laws in the land that protect freedom of religion. We're the oddballs. We shouldn't see ourselves as, well, this is what the state owes us. And doggone it, if they don't, then we're going to get them. What did Jesus tell us? Jesus, look, they persecuted me. What do you expect? I mean, you identify with me. They hate me. Why wouldn't they hate you too? Why would you expect anything different? And so in some ways, this this passage sort of reminds us that the life of faith endures suffering. And we don't look to the state to guard and protect us from that. It's the reality. It's a... It's a fact of being associated with Christ because our faith in Christ, because we're assured of things hoped for. It affects how we live. 
And so it brings the, the ire and anger of those people who hate Christ. The life of faith endures suffering. Second, the life of faith is emboldened by surviving suffering. There, there really are two reasons, I think, that the writer would call the attention of his audience in verses 32 to 39 uh, to their past, to, to those early days, those first days after their conversion. Um, for one, it's, it's a reminder to us and to them that we're outsiders. We're resident aliens. Uh, we belong to a, a world that isn't here yet. Our, our passport might say United States. Our zip code might be, you know, our mailing address might. But we belong elsewhere. And you heard that even in in the reading of chapter 11 in verses 13 to 16, for example, they recognized that they had a homeland and it's not the homeland that they just left. It's not a homeland that you can find on Google Maps. It's not a, a dot you can drop on a map and say, I need directions to that place. It's a homeland that's that's better. That's greater. That's eternal. And so we're called to love God and to love others rather than to love ourselves, And that flies in the face of everything the world you live in tells you to do. That flies in the face of the philosophy of this world. And so by loving God and loving others, even those who are hurting and struggling and being mistreated themselves, we will draw mockery and rebuke. But there's a second reason uh, to tell the readers to remember, to recall their former days. So one time when John was a kid, I have permission. I texted John and got permission to use this illustration. Uh, by the way, that is sort of my general rule is if I'm going to talk about a family member, I've, I've, I've asked permission for them to do that. Um, uh, so that you can just assume that that's the case. One time John was a kid. I don't know how old, eight, nine, ten-ish. I don't know. I, young enough. Young enough to be aware and afraid, but probably old enough not to be afraid. Um, and, and he had a doctor's appointment and he was going to get a shot. And, and he knew he was going to get a shot. And we told him he was going to get a shot. And we told him it's going to hurt. But it's not going to hurt long. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's just a quick little, well, that nurse came with that, that needle and he started talking. Wait, 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 wait. And he did everything he could to make sure that that thing wasn't... Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Are you, where are you going to put it exactly? Like, hey, where exactly in my thigh? Maybe he was younger than eight or not. I don't know. Um, I've, I don't remember any of those. Either. I just... And I wish I had a video. Of his reaction and anticipation, the fear of that needle coming at him. Except, as soon as he got the shot, he was incredulous. That's it? That's what you told me was going to hurt? That's all this needle did? You said it was going to hurt. That was nothing. That was absolutely... So one of the reasons we remember the struggles and conflicts of the past is to be encouraged to face them again. The next time he goes in for a shot, all right, I'll take it, whatever. I've been through this. I've felt the pain of that needle. I remember it. I know exactly what it's like. 
and is really not that big a deal. If you've ever endured mocking and suffering and and mistreatment on account of Christ and lived to tell about it, the next time seems a little less painful, a little less difficult. If you've ever had possessions taken from you and you did just fine without, if you've ever given generously, freely to the church or to the work of the church or the, the mission of Christ in establishing his kingdom on this earth and, and you didn't miss them, it makes it easier to part with possessions later in the future. You're emboldened to live for Christ because you've experienced it in the past. If you've, if you've seen God's faithfulness to, through trial and difficulty and hard times, the next round of hard times don't seem, they don't cause quite as much fear and concern. God has proven he won't leave you or forsake you whether you pass through the waters or walk through the fires as we just sang a few minutes ago. The original audience, you remember, is on the verge of punting the faith. They're on the verge of throwing in the towel, of giving up, of walking away, of deciding this is more than I can bear. This is more than I signed up for. And so at some level, the writer goes, hold on a second, time out. What exactly are you facing now that you haven't already faced before? What exactly are you, are you suffering now that you haven't suffered before? What are you enduring now that you haven't endured before? God's proven faithful to you time and again. Why quit now? The life of faith endures suffering. The life of faith is emboldened by surviving suffering. Third, the life of faith is encouraged by sharing in suffering. I think I've mentioned before uh, one of the questions, and, and, and I think this is the only question I remember. So when I was being ordained um, back in 2002, um, I, one of the questions I was asked on the floor of Presbytery and if those, I, I bet I have used this illustration because I'm pretty sure I've said this sentence before. If those are words you don't understand, see me. Let's have, let's have coffee. Um, by, uh, I can tell you his name. I won't. He was a, a seminary professor. He's now pastoring a church in Tennessee. Uh, his question was, why study church history? And I'm pretty sure my answer was, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Can I, I want to revisit my answer. I think I can improve that answer now 20 years later, 20 and a half years later. Um, because that's sort of the negative aspect of church history. Like there's bad stuff in our past. True. And we learn from the mistakes we've made in the past. And so we don't make them again. That's the negative sort of angle of learning from church history. There's also a, a positive angle, if you will. And I think that's at work in this passage. Because Hebrews 11 comes right after Hebrews 10. Now, I was a math major. Don't argue with me that 11 comes after 10. Okay? Um, th that's not what I mean. Why does the writer 
launch into all of these accounts in chapter 11 of all of these old covenant saints who have endured exactly the same things that his audience has endured. It's for their comfort. It's for their encouragement. The reality is he he launches into this long story. He recounts Old Testament history as evidence for why they and we should be encouraged when dealing with suffering. Now, here's a speaking of history. Chapter divisions weren't added until the 13th century. Um, that's those are not in, the 11 is not inspired by God, which means the writer literally launched from your former days. Quoting Habakkuk, which, by the way, was our Old Testament reading last Sunday, the just live by faith. We are not those, verse 39, who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith. Well, then he launches into here's what faith is. And so in some ways we benefit if we take that 11 out and we squish 39 and one together and read it in one story, one account. And so the writer, I think, is writing chapter 11 as encouragement for his audience and for us. Notice that these old covenant saints are saved the exact same way you and I are. By offering a sacrifice, Abel. By offering a sacrifice, Abraham. By offering a sacrifice, Noah. By slaughtering lambs, Moses. That's not there. The old covenant saints are saved by grace through faith in the promised redeemer. Just like you and I are. Now it just so happens we have more light. We have clearer vision, clearer sight because we live after and not before. But we're all saved by grace through faith in the promised Redeemer, in the Messiah. But second, these old covenant saints show us that the life of faith, suffering and all, is worth it. That it's it's absolutely worth suffering the reproach of the world for the cause of Christ. Can you just imagine... Hey, honey, look out the kitchen window. Next door neighbor Noah is building some giant thing he calls an ark. I don't know what an ark is either, honey. Apparently something about rain and a flood, whatever that is. And it, and it took him years, right? I mean, the ridicule of, there he is again, crazy Noah, out there still working on this boat. We have to put boat in quotes because they didn't, they didn't, there was no flood. There was, that didn't, it wasn't a thing, right? They hadn't rained. They hadn't had. And so there's this picture then that, that Noah shows that it's worth it. The, the mocking, just as the original audience has suffered the reproach and affliction and public mocking of the world around them, so too has Noah. So too, verse 36 um, so too have have others before they suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment. Still others, verse 37, went without. 
They were, they were impoverished. They lived in goat skins and, and lived in poverty, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Moses decided, I'd rather be counted among Christ's people than, than lay hold of the wealth of Egypt, which is mine. His mom, his adopted mom is Pharaoh's daughter. He stands to inherit an insane amount of wealth. So I could, I could go be numbered with the prisoners. Or I could stay here in this mansion of a castle of a Pharaoh's house. With gold and great food, freedom. Moses chose Christ and Christ's people. Far greater wealth to be numbered among God's people than to have the wealth of the world, to have the wealth of Egypt. All of this is written, in other words, the writer says to his audience and to us, when you... What you face and what you have faced, others have faced before you. There is encouragement in sharing in suffering. Fourthly, the life of faith expects relief from suffering. Did you notice how chapter 10 ends? Chapter 10 ends with... Um, the just shall the righteous the just shall live by faith. He's quoting from Habakkuk again. We, that was our Old Testament reading last week, um, and, and of course Habakkuk was written before Jesus came, right? And so the the point of Habakkuk was is was there is a promised redeemer coming. There is a coming one who will come, and he will not delay. The writer of Hebrews uses it to remind us that same coming one is still coming again. What 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 the old covenant saints were looking for the first time we live just like they do waiting for the redeemer to come the promised Messiah to come. We just happen to be waiting for his second coming his return. And yet we're told the writer here uses it to say that coming one will indeed come and he will not delay now. Again, math major. So humor me on this. 2,000 years sounds like a delay to me. I mean, if I have to wait 2,000 minutes for food or 2,000 seconds, I'm angry, right? I'm, I'm upset. 2,000 years? And we're still not there. Unless, of course, you live outside of time. Unless, of course, you created the clock. And the calendar and such a thing as time. So that a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years to you. That's God's reality. For what seems like forever for you and me is a couple of days for him. So it seems like a delay and yet he promises that he will not delay. The, the relief will come in Christ and that relief comes when Christ returns. We want instant relief. We want instant gratification. We want drive through sanctification. We want minute holiness like we have minute rice. 
But the reality is we're given, we're given smoked pork butt sanctification. It takes time and patience and endurance. In fact, at the end of Hebrews 11, we get yet another sort of mention of this. All of these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised. Why not? So that we would all get it together. And what is it? Perfection. They, like us, were waiting on a perfect, righteous, holy world. And they are waiting. They didn't receive so that they could be made made perfect with us. There's encouragement in shared suffering, which leads to joy in shared relief. That's the picture. The life of faith and endures suffering is emboldened by surviving suffering, is encouraged by shared suffering and anticipates relief from suffering. Let me remind you of, of one reality of Hebrews 11. I think you and I are in danger. I hope I'm not the only one. I really hope you're in this boat with me. I think we're in danger of reading chapter 11 wrongly. We call Hebrews 11 the hall of faith. We have a tendency to read it like the hall of perfection. We have a tendency to read chapter 11 and forget Noah's drunkenness and mess ups after the flood. And forget that Moses got angry and hit the rock and didn't actually make it into the promised land. We forget that Abraham passed his wife off as his sister on multiple occasions to protect himself. We have this this danger of reading chapter 11 as though it's the hall of perfection, that these are all people who never failed, who never wavered, never violated God's revealed will. And yet, go read Genesis. They all did. The hall of faith is filled with all of these old and new covenant saints who are weak and feeble and distracted just like you are. But that's okay because the hall of perfection has one name in it. There's only one person, Jesus Christ, in the hall of sinlessness, the hall of perfection. He's the only perfectly obedient person. And it's precisely our faith in Christ that fuels and propels our life of faith. None of these saints believed in themselves. None of these saints grabbed their bootstraps, pulled real hard and did better. None of these saints looked inside themselves for the true you and and find the better person within. They all looked outside of themselves, which is exactly where you and I need to look. Not in here, but to Christ. All looked to the Messiah, all looked To the promised Redeemer. May that be said of us. That we look to Christ. And we live out our faith. By his grace and strength. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. We pray that you would grant us the grace. To do just this. 
we don't want to seek suffering and go out and get it just because, just to pat ourselves on the back, just to say how great and wonderful we are, because that would be the opposite of what this chapter is about. But we do pray that we would live a life that holds on to the life to come, the world to come, the new creation, the promises revealed in your word that are still not yet. Why? Because we trust firmly in the already. We pray that you would give us the grace to live out our faith and trust in you to the honor and glory of Christ and for the growth and good of his kingdom, we ask it. Amen.